Today on the Driving Improvement Podcast, my guest is Andrew Rice, a Golf Digest Top 50 teacher in America and a member of the Golf Magazine Top 100 Instructors List. A native of South Africa, Andrew played golf at the University of Central Florida before beginning his coaching journey under teaching legend David Ledbetter. Rising quickly to the top of the coaching profession, Andrew has gained notoriety for his ability to blend old-school communication and new-school technology as one of only a handful of TrackMan University partners in the world and a Swing Catalyst ambassador. This has led him to being featured with Revolution Golf and Golf Channel, as well as becoming a Ping Golf ambassador. On this episode, we discuss building a coaching culture, the golfer's search for the ever-elusive consistency, and what it's like to travel the world coaching the game of golf. All that and more on the Driving Improvement Podcast with Mark Russo right now. Well, welcome in, everybody, to the Driving Improvement Podcast, and I'm very excited to have my friend Andrew Rice on. Andrew, how are you, my friend? Mark, it's a pleasure to be on with you, buddy. Uh, happy to be here chatting with you. Looking forward to see, to spending some good time together, as usual. Yeah, man. So, uh, you know, we're just talking off air a little bit about the, you know, the the lovely 2020 that we're dealing with. Uh, give us a little bit of state of the union for you. How's your family? And um and sort of how's your business adapted to this whole deal? Mark, everyone's doing okay. I, I, I've i had a college-aged son that got corona and has overcome corona, never showed a single sign, was completely asymptomatic. Uh, him and all his friends got it, and uh, so I'm sure they passed it around amongst each other, and none of them showed any signs. But it's just like everybody else, we've got to adapt. And as I said to you, uh, we like to control things naturally uh, but 2020 has taught us that we are not in control we are simply along for the ride <laughs> and so um, that's certainly hard for us to do I know it's hard for me to do but I'm learning to get better with that and say listen let's plan on this let's do our best for this working towards this and if it doesn't work out then it wasn't meant to be uh, that's really all we can do I think and my business has done the same you know it's been once I, I got to teach a little bit earlier than you, I got into it, I would say around the middle of May and middle of May through just about the end of June was pretty gangbusters. But uh, now for me teaching in Savannah, it's the dog days of summer. It's a little bit slower. And so I can sit back and try to come up with some different ideas. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's interesting, Andrew, as we've gotten back into it, it's kind of, um, it's kind of been gangbusters for everybody um, once they got back into it yeah. to some degree, depending on where you are. But the golf courses and a lot of the teachers that I and coaches that I talk to, uh, you know, I, I think the folks were just itching to get back into it. And given that, you know, it's a somewhat safe, if you will, uh, endeavor in these times, mm. what's your feeling on the state of the uh, of the state of the game in general these times? You know, we got, you know, people getting back into it. Uh, they're rushing to the golf courses. And then we've got this weird phenomenon watching golf on TV with no fans and Bryson mm. in Hulk mode. Like we got all these little things we're, we're getting into. What's your state of the union on the game? I think golf is in good shape. What sport could be better to play? I can't think of, of many sports that would be better to play uh, under this COVID-19 quarantine lockdown status that we've got. That's all the way around the world at the moment. 
Uh, I cannot think of a game that's better to play. You're out there, you're in the open air, you're getting some exercise. Uh, golf is booming, I think. And I know in particular in Australia, they're seeing a tremendous resurgence in numbers. And um, I, I spoke to a buddy of mine who said people would come to the dry, he works at a driving range, people would come to hit golf balls and they would ask to rent clubs because they didn't have any. And on multiple occasions when they had run out of rental clubs, they would leave go to the pawn shop, buy two clubs, come back and get golf balls to hit golf balls, uh, which I think is kind of a neat story. You know, it's, it's dedication. When was the last time that someone who doesn't play golf or who doesn't own golf clubs did that? And I think uh, golf, is, golf is in really good shape. Uh, the appeal is there. Uh, Bryson, the PGA Tour, I, I firmly believe that Bryson has broken the code. He's a very smart person. He's a very motivated, passionate person. He is going to, I always liken Bryson to the card counter stepping into a casino in Vegas. He is going to do all he can to gain a little bit of an edge on the house. And Bryson has looked at it. He's consulted with some very smart people. And he has noted that hitting the ball longer, yes, it's an advantage, but Someone could say, well, well, what if uh, I know that I'm a bad bunker player, so I'm going to go and work on becoming the best in the world out the sand. How long do you think it's going to take in the statistics to show up that you're a really good bunker player? It's going to take a whole season, okay? If you work on speed, and, and I think speed is actually even more important than improving your swing technique, and I really do. I'm a big proponent of swing technique. Speed is even more important than good golf swings. Here's why. Because you use radar technology in your teaching. I use that in my teaching. And I've never seen anyone swing at, let's say, 90 miles an hour. And then all of a sudden, they make a bad swing and they swing at 78. It just doesn't happen. Speed is speed. And so if you go from 118 to 131 like Bryson's done and you're able to take it to the golf course, as he has done, it shows up on the first tee shot, and it shows up on the second tee shot, and the third one, and it shows up straight away. And so he's getting paid dividends for that massive speed increase. I really do think Bryson has changed the game forever. I do think that ultimately in the years to come, we will see a change in the professional game where uh, the 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 Governing bodies will require a different golf ball. Now, all this is going to do, all this will do, the long, Bryson will still be the longest out there. The longest players will still be the longest, but it's going to preserve so many great golf courses. It's going to preserve shot making values. Um, when was the last time you think Bryson hit a four iron into a par four? I get that would be an interesting question to ask Bryson. You've played four events in a row. What's your longest iron when you haven't hit a tree? Okay. What's the longest iron you've had into a par four? Uh, mm. And it's just totally changing the game. It's totally, you know, I, I think of, I was talking to somebody earlier today and I said, okay, 350 off the tee. I know I've been fortunate to play Augusta a few times and that back tee on number 11 at Augusta. Uh, you in the middle of the tee box is like 505. 
Well, you drive at 350. Bryson's got driver wedge into a 500-yard par four. Par four. <laughs> driver wedge. Um, that's a different deal there. That's a very different deal. And um, it's changed the game forever, I believe. But I do believe that that change will lead to another change. And it's it, golf will be fine. Golf will be fine for it. It would just be nice to see players hit some long irons into par fours and have these challenging holes. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it, it is interesting how he's what he's done, and and we'll we'll definitely talk about some of the skill and the technique stuff. Um, but you know, before we do, I just want to sort of get into your origins a little bit. Um, what got you into golf? You know, coming from South Africa, what what was it that what was the allure of the game to you, and what made you play and then come to the states? Uh, eventually to play college golf? Mark, I, um, you know, I played all sports growing up. I played uh, soccer first, then tennis and rugby and cricket and uh, golf came along. My dad played golf. He introduced me to the game. I would go out and caddy for him on the odd weekend. And uh, he got me started with golf and I took to it quickly. I think the first handicap I had was a 12. Uh, that turned into coming to America and playing uh, college golf. I played at Central Florida. Um, just really, really enjoyed college golf. I did relatively well. I, uh, I was a second-team All-American and wanted to convert that, as most do, into some kind of a playing tour-based career. And Looking back, I think I think back and I go, I never really saw myself as a, as a tour player. And I always felt like it was time for me to get a real job. It was time for me to stop messing around and playing games and get a real job. And so I thought, well, I don't really know how to do much. I'm, I don't have much of a business mind. And so I got into teaching. And I taught golf and I worked for David Ledbetter uh, starting in the mid-90s. And that was fantastic. It was a great place to start off. Certainly at that time, David Ledbetter was the name as far as golf coaches go. Uh, I still take my hat off to David. I learned a tremendous amount from him. I do view him as the, the godfather of golf instruction, so to speak. I think uh, he opened up a lot of doors for a lot of the things that we get to do today. And uh, worked for David for five or six years until two 2000 and then I uh, branched out on my own and started teaching I taught at a golf course in South Carolina for 15 years and now I've moved to the Western Savannah Harbor Resort in Savannah obviously and I've been there for about four and a half years and just love it you know I love uh, the freedom that working and teaching golf at a resort brings me it gives me the ability to do some different things and to diversify what I do as a coach. And, uh, you know, certainly with this Corona situation that's come along in 2020, it's, uh, it's forced me to sit back and look at what I do and go, how can I diversify even further so that uh, when and should something like this come along, you want to try to you want to try to fill in, plug in as many holes as possible. And so, you know, that's what we're doing. We're working on some stuff, but just so blessed to, to come to America. I love this country. I'm a citizen and uh, I wish more people loved 
being in America because I'll tell you what the best the best way to find out how much you love America is is uh, go and live in the Congo for a month, go and live in Syria for a month, uh, and, and then tell us how you feel about America. I think it's a it's a fabulous place. Yeah, when you looking back, you know your starting career, you start working for Lead, and and I agree with what you said about. Uh, him being sort of the godfather. I mean, anybody who makes a living teaching and coaching uh, golf certainly owes him a, a tip of the cap. But, you know, how has your teaching evolved? We all talk about, I had this discussion with my most recent guest, Pete Strickland, uh, who's 25-year coach in the NCAA. And, you know, he, he laughed when I asked him that question. He's just like, some things have changed so much since I first gave my, you know, my first basketball lesson and coached my first team. And I, I would say the same to, to anybody that I would want to give some money back, frankly, in some of those early lessons. Oh yeah. How has your, how has your teaching and coaching evolved from when you started with lead to now? I, I, I would, I would hope tremendously. I would hope tremendously. And, and certainly when I talk to a number of students, I say, this is my current belief on what I find to work best for your situation. And that is due to the experience, the knowledge that this information can change and we might learn new and better things. And I think as a coach that's evolving, as a coach that's striving to not be complacent, as I know you are, uh, it's that's an important way to look at it because how I teach somebody today might be very different to the way that I teach somebody 10 years from now. And my understanding as to the mechanics of the golf swing, as to how people learn, as to how I can relate to that unique athlete in front of me, um, that's definitely going to change. And so, um, you know, David taught me how to teach, how to give a good golf lesson. And I think that stood me in good stead over the years. And that certainly hasn't changed. But the what of the lesson has changed tremendously. And people will often say, Who's your biggest influence? And I would say it's the internet. The internet is my biggest influence. It's not one single book. It's not one single person. It's most likely a handful of people that have influenced me greatly over the last 10 years, 8 to 10 years, uh, whether it be social media or um, reading books or just face-to-face conversations with people. Uh, those are the people that have influenced me to the highest degree. So you feel like more so than your approach and uh, lessons, the information has changed, has outweighed how you approach lessons. Is that fair? I would say my approach has remained fairly steady. Uh, I, I still go about things the same way. I interview the student, find out what's wrong, what's ailing, what they're looking for. Then we will assess what the problem is. We will look at the pictures, the videos, the data together. Uh, I'll present the plan. We'll start moving in that direction to see if it works. If it doesn't work, we will change course. But the objective is still going to remain the same. Uh, and then at the end of the lesson, we will come together. We'll have a look and see how it's actually working out. Look at the video, look at the data, have some before and after photographs and go, okay, this is the plan. That's how you need to go about it. Whether it's a three-day golf school or a one-hour lesson. Obviously, it's really condensed in a one-hour lesson, but that plan has remained the same. It's the what, what's going into the information that's being shared has, that hopefully has been upgraded. 
Andrew, what you said there was, I thought, kind of interesting because I, I, I sort of feel this way about my own teaching and coaching. And that's, you said something about if it doesn't work, we'll go a different direction. Mm. Would you have been as um, uh, ready to do that in a lesson early on in your coaching career as you are now? Because I, I don't think that I would have. I would have felt that it would have looked like a weakness or like I didn't know what mm. I was doing. But I find as I get better, I, I don't worry about that and it's experience. And I see that with some other coaches. I've had that discussion with other guys in our business, guys and gals in our business. And it's an interesting thing that I, I've heard from them as well. I think it's, it, it's maturity. It's experience. It's, uh, it's getting over some of that insecurity. And I always say to people, hey, listen, this is our objective. We're going to try to get that bull flight higher, for example. That's our objective. How we get there might change. I'm going to lay some things down on the table in front of you, that athlete golfer. You're going to pick the first one up because I think the first one might be the, the, the quickest route to get us to where we want to get to. Oh, that didn't work. Let's put that down. Let's pick the second tool up to see if this one's going to help us. Ah, that's working. Okay. Our objective is now achieved. We've got your ball flight higher. You can stop a seven iron on a green. Uh, and that's the tool that's going to work. That's the feel, the image, the thought process that's going to work best for you. Um, definitely, I think it's a it's a youthful coach's mistake to make um, to say, no, no, this is what we've got to do. Everybody's different. Everybody thinks and feels and perceives the information we share with them differently. So we definitely have got to have that flexibility in being able to say, well, let's try this. Let's let, let let's forget that. Let's try this one. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you talked earlier also about the, the why and the what changing, and you spent a lot of time in your, your career doing a lot of research and learning. Yeah. Um, we've talked about it, you know, through the wedge project, uh, Trackman partner, swing catalyst, and now in your association with ping and dealing mm. with, uh, the smart guys, the PhDs and R&D. Why is it so important to you to, to get into the, the nitty gritty of it a little bit and, and get into that, that side? Mark, I, I'm not sure why. I, I, I must say that I thoroughly enjoy it. I really, really enjoy that. And I can remember uh, one of the first couple of weeks I got access to a track man was working up at Atlantic Golf Club in the Hamptons. Now, I'll always remember I walked into this room and they had two of them sitting there and I was just blown away. They've got two track, man, let's get that thing fired up. And pretty quickly, I was taping pennies with duct tape to the outside of a golf ball and hitting them and slow-mo filming <laughs> to, see, to see what the effect of mud balls would be. And, uh, you know, the, the guys at Ping have since shown me a much better way to test it with actual mud. You've got the keys. You've got to get really good sticky mud. And uh, what, what was happening was uh, in those early tests, when you hit a ball really hard with a penny taped to the right side, the outside of the golf ball, the penny would shoot through the tape because of the, the force of the collision. Just the tape would stay on. But the ball would fly quite nicely, actually. But the one thing I did notice from that was the black duct tape I used always stayed on the same side of the golf ball. And that told me that the spin axis was fairly vertical. But um, 
just curiosity, I think. I, I love to see that stuff. You know, I, I did a test, a fairly extensive test the other day between, and a lot of golfers don't realize this, there is so much new technology in irons. Uh, a lot of the changes and a lot of the stuff we talk about is driver-based, but there's so much new technology in irons uh, that players oftentimes don't know. You can't, it's tough to tell you. You can't tell just by looking at the irons, but... Um, you've got face flex technology and non-face flex technology. And I tested that. And I've got to say the results were amazing. The difference was incredible. Uh, and there's so much out there that we need to look into still and understand better. I believe that with the smart people and the measuring abilities, capabilities we have in the game today, we understand so much. Not everything. We understand so much. But... There are people that have tested stuff that you and I haven't even thought about yet, uh, and that uh, that yeah. kind of upsets me. I, I you know, I, I need to think about it. I need to question it. Um, but there are people who have tested and found answers to the questions we haven't even come up with yet. So sliding into you know the getting the the people in front of us and the golfers themselves, you know the the word that comes up all the time is consist consistency. Yeah, I just we we kind of chuckle at that word sometimes in our in our business because it, it can have such a broad and interesting meaning. Mm. Um, but you know the quest for consistency. I mean, why is improvement such a struggle for so many uh, in in golf and frankly in any endeavor to that to to that end? But this game obviously is extremely mm. hard. Um, cause we talk about, uh, I bring it up all the time about how failure is, uh, can be a good thing and be very helpful to you if you decide to use it correctly. Uh, and we certainly see a, a good bit of failure when golfers mm. are trying to get better, but why is improvement mm. such a struggle for, for most? Mark, I, I would say this, the margins are very slender. Hey, the margins are very slender. Uh, if you take, if, if I think of, uh, uh a circle that's got 360 degrees on it and i take the second hand on my watch one second equals six degrees okay and i think you and i could both agree that one second out of a minute is not a great deal but six degrees when it comes to that club face angle uh, you you could you could be right trees or left trees with a six degree change and players will often go, well, that swing felt exactly the same, but one ball went screaming off into the left trees. One ball went screaming off into the right trees. Uh, but the swing felt the same. Well, one second, there was a one second difference in the angle of that club face and impact. And it, it actually boggles the mind when you realize how good these players on the PGA tour really, really are. You, you think about, you know, how, what level, what degree of control Bryson must have over his club face to hit the ball 350 yards and be hitting 61% of fairways. You know, 61% right. of fairways. I think if, if I had a golf ball shooter cannon that could shoot the ball 350 yards, I think I'd be happy with 61% of fairways if I could just take time and aim the thing down the, you know, um, <laughs> and then you go, here's someone moving at 130 miles an hour and they've got to get, he's got to get his club face within 1.5 degree consistency rating in order to hit those fairways, um, maybe even less. And so 
what is it? What allows for it? I really do believe that it's technique, Mark. It's technique. There are certain elements of technique that we understand. There are certain that we don't understand. I think Chris Como had a great couple of great discussions with Chris during lockdown learning pertaining to repeatability, which is, I think, you know, I, I totally get when golfers use the word consistency. I'm not a fan of the word, but I get what they're asking for and looking for. They're looking for that repeatability, that predict predictability when it comes to controlling their golf ball and uh, improved technique equals improved repeatability. Uh, the question is, what is improved technique? And uh, I think we're still looking for some of those answers. We don't have all of them. I think we got uh, we got 6.7 out of 10 as far as coming up with all the answers. We got a ways to go. What's your take on um, the ability for you know students to accurately and honestly self-evaluate and how important that is to the whole improvement process? Because for my take, you know, you you get people in front of you and they are anxious uh, to learn mm. and they, they want to, they want to get better. Now, whether or not they're willing to put the time in is a whole other discussion. Maybe we'll get there, but, mm. but at times I feel like it's very difficult to get people to accurately and, and, and truly say, I'm not good at this. I'm good at this. You know, it's kind of mm. all sunshine and rainbows sometimes. Yeah. And then the score adds up and it's 92, 95, yeah. you know? So what's your, what's your thought there? Mark, the vast majority of people, of golfers, are horrible at doing that. <laughs> They're just horrible at doing that because in the last round they played, they lost four golf balls off the tee, and so they're horrible at driving. But they may have had 41 putts. But because of their score and because of the, the fact that they remember losing four golf balls, they're bad at driving. Uh, and this to me is where the low hanging fruit comes in and it's statistics, statistics. It, uh, I'm affiliated with a company called Arcos golf and the average Arcos user saves 4.2 strokes in the first year of using the program. And it simply gives golfers accurate feedback as to where they're good and where they're not good. And that's going to help them make better decisions. It's going to help them practice more effectively. It's going to help them choose better clubs out on the golf course. And that is for somebody, because some golfers that you and I teach are just looking to hit better shots. Uh, th their primary objective is not to lower the score, but I think just about everybody is quietly in the background looking to lower the so sco their score. Some people will be more upfront about it. Uh, but for those looking to purely lower their score, if you are not taking advantage of statistics and the average everyday golfer now today has access to PGA Tour level type data, close to it. Not exactly the same, but close to it. We can get really, really good with it. I know Arcos is coming out with updates to their app where I am going to be able to look at my rounds and go, how about this? Uh, how, what's my strokes gain driving on dogleg left holes versus dogleg right holes? Hmm. What's my strokes gained approach on shots into the wind versus shots downwind? And that to me is super cool. That is so incredible. And 
the golfing population can learn a tremendous amount just from seeing the truth, just from seeing the truth. Where are you good? Where are you weak? And let's go and practice. Let's go and play accordingly. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I've gotten to, uh, uh, you know, I saw uh, Sid do a presentation on Arcos at our teaching summit in November mm. and immediately jumped on that. Uh, and I got probably eight people doing it and I've been pushing it pretty hard and it's fun. I'll take my days off here and I'll spend a few minutes at the computer just going through their Arcos stuff, which is great for me, you know, being at a range and not being on a golf course with them. Unfortunately, it's a way for me to sort of see what they're doing and be out there with them. And I send them notes on things I'm seeing on there. And, you know, we, we attack that stuff in lessons. So I think uh, yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. Information is key. Uh, if you, if you're just sort of winging it, you know, fairways, greens and putts yeah. <laughs> on the scorecard, I don't think you're quite getting the, uh, getting the whole run of it. And, you know, speaking of that too, you know, what do you think students can do uh, to be better at taking a lesson? Cause I'm running into also an interesting thing where I'll get, I've got a lot of new people coming in to see me and it's, it's great. Uh, but many times they'll come in there and not have much of a plan. Uh, don't get me started on not warming up, but mm. no plan and really no details. And I, you know, I guess that speaks to the Arco stuff, but mm. too, but what do you think students can do better to get more out of a lesson? Mark, I would say this, and I'm a big fan of keeping things as simple as possible if I was going to take a lesson in anything, I would want to walk in the door, meet my coach, my instructor, and say, when I leave, when I walk out the door, I would like to be better. I would like to have a better understanding. I would like to know why ABC in a certain part of the game, and that's why I'm here. That's why I'm here. I, I think have an objective. What is, as a student, what is your primary objective for this hour? And if it's not this hour, then what is your long-term objective? I'm coming to you. I plan on coming to you once a month for the rest of the year. My current handicap is 17.1, and my goal is to break 85. And so my goal handicap is to get to 12. You've got 12 months, we've got 12 lessons, that's my objective, let's go. Or it might be, I want you to help me get out of the bunker. That is my goal, I wanna have drills, I wanna have a game plan, I want a little bit of a practice plan to help me work towards becoming a better bunker player. It could be something as simple and as short-term as that, or as long-term as help me get to this handicap. And. You know, you certainly know, Andrew, I mean, you deal with a, a, a range of folks at all different levels coming in for your golf schools. And uh, you've seen a lot of folks uh, as you travel for your your schools as well. And time is starting to become not necessarily for the retirement age folks, of course, but, you know, for some of the younger generation who are getting into the game and do it for business, families, work, all this stuff, time is becoming just more of a crunch. So if somebody has limited time, um, you know, say 30 minutes, what could they do if they're at the club or at the course uh, to get maybe the most out of their, their time and be effective, the, the whole, you know, quality over quantity uh, argument? Mm. I would oftentimes, and you hear this, Mark, people will come to you and say, oh, I'm great on the range. I'm horrible on the course. I hear that a lot. I know you hear that a lot. And so I would like for people to, when they're practicing, 
I think it's important that we spend time on our technique. I think it's important that we spend time developing some skill and learning to utilize our technique to cause the ball to do what we want. And then I think we need to also spend some time simulating on-course play. And so I, I call it swing skill shot, and I share this with everybody who comes to my three-day golf schools. Spend a portion of your time, if you've got 30 minutes, spend 10 minutes working on your mechanics. That means lots of rehearsals. You've got a 7-iron or an 8-iron. The ball may or may not be on a tee. You're doing drills, and you're just repeating that motion, and you're hitting little shots. You're not really focusing on the shot. Skill development, take a seven or an eight iron and I would like you to hit two shots of each version, a high one, a low one, a draw, a fade, top one, hit one with your right hand only, hit one with your eyes closed. I believe that if you can learn to complete the task, A, get the ball, B, to the target, a multitude of different ways, I think you become more skilled at completing the task. And so spend the next 10 minutes developing some skill, and the final 10 minutes, you're going to hit, once again, two shots per club. Maybe pick six clubs from your bag where you've got to include the driver and you've got to include some kind of a pitchy wedge type club. And you're going to hit two shots to the specific side, to a certain side of a target. And you're going through the whole pre-shot routine. And this is going to serve as the bridge from the driving range to the golf course. Swing skill shot i think if you spend 30 minutes doing that you can leave the range going that was pretty productive no that's that's great um in terms of coaching in, in your history who have you taken lessons from did you take lessons and in terms of you know our profession now who do you well i know i think i know one of them but who who do you uh look to or or believe is very good at what he or she does in, in our profession. Yeah. Um, who have I taken lessons from? I, I must say I haven't, you know, Mark, to be, to be quite frank, I, I love playing golf. Um, I love golf. I love playing golf. If you and I were to get together and you came down to visit me down here, we would go out and we would play Secession Golf Club in Harbor Town. Uh, and we would play some really cool courses and we would have some banter and it would be lighthearted. And both of us would try our butts off to beat each other and we would have a great time. I love golf. I love that golf. I'm not, and I know there are a number of coaches who are really, really good, um, who are still trying to play competitively. I am not there. Uh, I swing my driver at 102 miles an hour and I need to start drinking some protein shakes. Okay. <laughs> Um, to, I, I think I need more than that. Uh, so I enjoy playing golf, but as a result of not chasing anything competitive, I haven't taken a lesson for a long, long time. That's not to say I don't have, you know, Chuck Cook have a look at watch me hit a few or Scott Cox watch me hit a couple. Um, there's, you know, every now and then I'll, I'll, I'll get a little nugget from someone and try that. And, and uh, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Um, but people that, that, that I would turn to or I would refer my students to, uh, I, I would say this. All of my competitive golfers are strongly encouraged to reach out and get in touch and start working with Dr. Brett McCabe, 
who is awesome. I know you know Brett, uh, Brett McCabe. If I were to, um, one of my young golfers that I currently teach were to make it on the PGA Tour, uh, I would encourage them to do club fitting, have an extensive club fitting with my buddy in Canada, Ian Fraser, uh, just because I believe Ian is the best in the world at that. Um, I would uh, funnel people because I love his passion. Mike Carroll, who on Twitter and Instagram is fit for golf, uh, I would I would push them in that direction uh, as far as their fitness and their physical well-being goes. Uh, and then, you know, gee, there's so many. Um, Dana Dahlquist, Joe Mayo, Chris Como, I think is fabulous. Sean Foley is just a, a legend. Uh, I, I love all of those people, and I know I'm going to leave some people out. Um, you know, uh, gee, there's, there, there's so many that I that I would mention and just uh, refer people to happily. Andrew, how would you describe your coaching style? My coaching style. You know, as South Africans, Mark, I think we're, we're, we're typically fairly easygoing. Uh, we don't get too hung up on certain things. And I, I would say my, my coaching style is easygoing. It's, uh, I, I want to find something that plugs into you. Instead of molding and shaping you to plug into me and my methodology, I'm going to find something. I'm going to go out of my way. I'm not necessarily going to find something. I'm going to try to find something that plugs into you. And teaching the golfers that I teach, and we teach the same type of golfers, the everyday golfers of all ages, of all abilities, uh, I think that's so important. I've got, to, I've got to tailor my message, my information to fit the person in front of me instead of it being the other way around. Yeah, and you, it, that's a good segue into sort of another question I had here really was just about the ability to communicate effectively. I mean, I, I think it's, um, you know, one of my other uh, guests also mentioned some of the best coaches are the best listeners. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a that was a great piece as well. But what do you think about, you know, being a great listener, helping you being a better coach and also just the importance of being able to say things in multiple different ways because you're dealing with so many different humans. Mm -hmm. That's well said. That's well said. Uh, Mark, I, I think it, something that every coach should do, whether they put it out there or not, is stand in front of a camera and evaluate what they say, how they say it, along with their body language. And that's something that, that, I somehow started doing, I didn't start, I, I didn't do it because I said, oh, this would be good for me. I just did it because I wanted to put some information out there and I've learned along the way. But say things and teach people and record it and then go back and watch it. And I do a lot of that. I use Coach Now. I think you use Coach Now. And I, I must probably film, <laughs> I'm on camera about four hours a day when I'm teaching simply because I, I, I'm recording so much of what I'm sharing with my students. I'm recording them. I'm recording myself. I'm recording myself demonstrate um, so that they've got access to it primarily, but also so I can jump on there every now and then and just see how that message came across. I, I think that's 
that's really important. I know I can certainly improve in the listening department. I wouldn't record yourself listening because <laughs> you wouldn't get much out of that. <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I, I can, uh, I, I can, I can, I know that I can improve in that department. The listening. You've created, yeah. I mean, you've created a, a successful business, and you know, I've known you for a while now, and and gotten it to where you know you uh seem to to want it in terms of the hours and and the type of teaching you're doing um were there any difficulties just kind of getting into the business side for anybody who's sort of an entrepreneur and wants to do their own thing were there any difficulties or lessons that you learned sort of moving out of the club side and really creating um what you wanted to do um you know in your business side Mark, I, I love this. I, I love this question because I know this. There are people who during the COVID lockdown have sat at home and done nothing. And as a golf coach, I, looked, I, I look at it and I go, okay, I help people have more fun while they play golf. That's not a life-altering job, certainly. Uh, but I want to be the best at that that I can be. And... Standing on a lesson tee, I know this, that if I've got a three-day school, I'm super excited because I've got four to six people that I'm going to interact with for three days. I've got a, a great opportunity to influence what they're doing. It's low stress. We can have a chat. We can have a banter. And it's, it's something I love doing. If I've got three days of eight or nine le individual lessons, I'm going, uh, oh, yeah, it's, it's something I'll do. And I know I've got to do some of that. That's part of the package. But I would never want to do only that. And so as a, as a golf coach, I'm looking at how I can di diversify. And I think I, I've mentioned that word already today. Uh, but not enough golf coaches look at how they can do other things. How can I... How can I touch my students, my tribe, in other ways other than, yes, it's indirect golf, but take them on a trip. Uh, bring them to this fitness seminar. Um, take them to this great club fitting guy that I know. Um, bring a fitness person in and start to branch out and do some different things that, yes, they connect to your students via golf. But they really, old, you know, taking people to South Africa to go and play golf really has very little to do with golf. Uh, mm. But it's something that that I think more more coaches need to look at. And let's diversify and let's think of areas that we can uh, be of assistance to people in that are alongside golf instruction, but not necessarily di directly connected to golf instruction. Yeah, because what you what you're talking about is sort of where I'm, you know, I'm I'm a step behind you and that I'm doing still a lot of those hour lessons, but mm. we're working out on that. And, you know, I've done the coach now thing to try and engage with my long term students only. It's for them only. And it's okay. been a lot of fun doing that. And, you know, I, I think it's an important thing what you're saying is essentially creating your culture. Yeah. Uh, you know, and and I don't like really using this word followers because that's more of a social media word, but it is mm. a part of your creating your culture. Yeah. You know, what, what's, you know, how important is that in terms of using all your social media to sort of create this, 
this whole connection between all those platforms that mm -hmm. shows who you are and what you do and is very consistent. Mm. I, I think that's so important, Mark. You know, um, I, I've, I've got a database now and believe it or not, this is going to sound crazy, but I try to keep my database as small as possible. Here's why, because I want people who are engaged and I send out a monthly email newsletter that's jam-packed with information uh, pertaining to free tips and golf schools and what's coming up and what trip are we doing, uh, who's coming into town. But if you don't open my email two months in a row, you get an automated email from me that says, hey, we've noticed you haven't opened it. Uh, would you like us to take you off the list? And most often people will go, oh, no, 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 please keep me on. Um, but if we get no response to that, then we take people off the list. And so we really want to keep, um, some people refer to it as a warm list. We want to keep a hot list. And we get 50 to, 50 to 60, low 60% 60 open rate typically on our newsletter, which, which is incredibly high. Um, and that's what we're looking for. I want people that are engaged. I want people that are into what Andrew Rice Golf is doing, what Andrew Rice Golf is putting out. And uh, there's just so many different things you can do to engage people. People love golf. And invariably, if they love golf, they want to go and play St. Andrews. They want to go and play Royal Melbourne. Uh, and if they've, if they've got the ability to do that, uh, they like to eat good food and uh, they like to have cool sightseeing experiences and they want to have the best driver. Um, and so you can tie this all together um, just with a little outside the box thinking and outside, a little bit of boldness. It's, you, you're going to make some mistakes, but um, be bold with what you do and, and start small and build it up. Yeah. And I think, you know, I guess that that leads to the the question here then that I ask most everybody who's on with me here is what what is it that you love about coaching people because to me it seems like for you the as it's starting to be for me more golf is a vehicle for yeah. doing it to for interaction and helping people uh, I always use the terms you know sort of having helping people have more joy yeah. and in life and I think that's a that's a great um gift that we have. So the question is then, what is it that you love about coaching? I help people have more fun while they play golf. And that doesn't matter if it's a tour player or someone trying to break a hundred for the first time. Uh, that truly is what I love about it. It's the relationships. Ultimately, I would say, Mark, it's the inter, you said the word interaction. It's the relationships that you can build and the cool people you can meet. I think of uh, this, uh, I'm this little dude from South Africa who didn't really know much and was super naive when he came over to this great country uh, in 1987 now. And uh, I go, look at what I've got. And it's all due to the game of golf. Look at the people. I've got my wife. I've got the vast majority of my friends are due to golf. And, uh, and that's it. It's it's people. It's all about people. And the older and hopefully wiser we get, I, I'm starting to see that more and more. It's, uh, it's, not a, it's certainly not about stuff and it's not about trophies and records and, and accolades. It's about relationships and friendships and just good people that we get to meet and hang out with. 
Yeah. And, and well, perfectly leading into it too, then, cause you, you know, we know, uh, that you love your, uh, your travel, your wine, your golf. So, and you and Terry, your wife have, uh, 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 sick excursions. Yeah. You guys do all kinds of traveling all over the world here with folks. Um, what are some of the best places you've traveled to play and do a little coaching, a little golfing, but mostly just having a great time with folks? What What are some of your favorites? Because you post some great pictures and, and social media stuff, but what are some of your favorites? Mark, I, I, and I think this answer might come as a surprise to a lot of people listening in. I would say that um, here's a good here's a good challenge, Okay. Uh, if you camped out in a location and you couldn't drive further than, let's say, 50 miles from this one location, how many great, really good golf courses could you play one a day before you were done? I would say that if I camped out in a town called Frankston, southeast of Melbourne, Australia, I could be there for... I would reckon pretty close to one month before I would run out of golf courses that were not amazing. I would say Melbourne, Australia has the highest concentration of truly exceptional golf courses, more so than anywhere else in the world. Uh, Mm. That's it. Royal Melbourne is number one. Melbourne West is number one for me. And there are certainly other great golf courses all over the world that I love very much. I think Shinnecock is is the best championship golf course in the world. Um, National uh, National Golf Links is is amazing. County Down is amazing. Bally Bunyan, um, truly special. But if you had to give me one spot, I, I could. Uh, they also, by the way, have some pretty good Pinot Noir on the Mornington Peninsula, which is <laughs> which would also fall into that fifty mile drive. <laughs> <laughs> I gotcha. Of course, of course. So I, I'd be cool. good there. So uh, how about a little bit of, you know, because uh, you've done so much of it. I mean, how about any advice for golfers who are you know, looking to travel and play? Just just anything. And, you know, you all have done so much of it, Andrew, that, you know, mm-hmm. you, you've got a lot of experience. Any kind of do's and don'ts or anything for folks out there, you know, who are not just into golf, but are business and, and want to travel and play golf? I would say this, Mark, set the trip up according to your budget. You know, some people are five star and other people just, they, they to them, playing the best golf is what it's all about. They don't mind if they're staying at the uh, Red Roof Inn. They just want to play the best golf. Other people, they want the, the full five star experience. Our trips are the full five star experience. But I, I can certainly see both sides. I would, I would say this, prioritize, prioritize. And uh, once you've prioritized, prioritize again. If you say golf is most important, uh, then you go, okay, which courses are most important? And you're going to set things up that way. Um, You know, if anyone wants to reach out to me, I'd be happy to help or or, or share. We haven't been everywhere, but we've been to a lot of different places over the the years. Uh, This coming January, we've got our, hopefully, our 16th year of taking people to go and play golf in South Africa. Um, use your resources. One of the things I do when we go to new countries in Europe, we went to Portugal uh, last year or the year before. Um, and what I do is I'll hop on Facebook and I'll say to, to my golf coaching buddies and just go, I'll, I'll just put on my, on my status. Anyone knows some great golf courses to play in Lisbon? And I'll get 
10, 10 responses and I'll correlate and I'll touch base with people and uh, use your resources. Don't be afraid to ask if you've got uh, a golf coach, you know, if you mark, for example, if someone coaches you, they say, Hey, you know, I've got this trip to, I'm going to Spain. Where should I play? You reach out to me. I'll go, Oh, definitely. You got to go here. Stay away from there. Uh, service is no good there but make sure you play these three. Um, and, and that's a great way. You've provided a cool service for your customer and it's you've been able to do it simply because you've got good connections. You've got, and, and we've all got, in the golf coaching community, we've all got good connections, certainly as it pertains to um, where to play and most often where to eat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Andrew, just kind of fill everybody in um, as we wind down here, uh, just where everybody can find you. Uh, you know, I know you mentioned earlier at Western Savannah, but just sort of give everybody the lay of the land with you in terms of where they can find you. And also just kind of what your your um, teaching programs look like right now. Mm. Mark, if, if anyone wants to find out more about me, you, if you just go on Google and type in Andrew Rice Golf, all one word, you'll find me. My website, andrewricegolf.com. Uh, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Andrew Rice Golf, YouTube, Andrew Rice Golf. I'm really ramping up uh, my YouTube presence this year and, and trying to put out some, some good, instructive, hopefully helpful information for everybody uh, via that YouTube channel there. Um, what does my pro? What do my programs look like at the moment? At this time of year, I, I'm pretty much teaching individual lessons. I teach uh, a lot of the young pros that I work with, uh, college players, juniors, mostly at this time of year. But uh, I do run various programs throughout the country where I will get in touch with people like yourself and say, "Hey, Mark, let's do a school together." Um, I'll I'll try to tap into various parts of the country where I'll go and say, hey, um, let's do something with your members. Let's do something for your membership and uh, just have a good day or two together and come in and, and work with the local teacher, work with the local golf professional, and we'll work together to put on a great experience for uh, members all over the country. Perfect. And so last last question, man, is what's uh... – What's next for you? What's next for Andrew Rice Golf? Where, where's what's on the horizon? Ah, you know, hopefully 2021. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, yeah. I'm just waiting for 2021. No, we good. Yeah. I, I still believe there are some tremendous opportunities in 2020. I know globally we're all ready for 2020 to be over. I certainly am. But um, as far as I can tell, uh, with what's in my control, Mark. Uh, I'm going to be uh, trying to not get complacent. I'm trying to think out of the box. Uh, we're always working to come up with some new and creative trips, new and creative ways to um, get in touch with golf professionals and um, do a coach camp type seminar or just get in touch with golf professionals and, and share some information with their members. Um, those kind of things, just trying to think outside the box and see how we can diversify further and expand what we're doing. Ultimately, it's all about, in my book, and I try to point all my information towards the everyday golfer. How can I help the everyday golfer? Uh, so many young coaches and 
not young coaches are striving to coach that tour player and my, I take my hat off to them. That's a difficult thing to do. You're going to be away from your family a lot, um, but I really want to help the everyday golfer find more, that word you used, find more joy out on the golf course and just have a good time. That grows the game in my book. Uh, that's perfectly said. That's uh, that, that's where I'm headed and I'll, uh, we'll keep striving to do it. And hopefully 2020, uh, the remainder and 2021 will be a whole lot better than, uh, where we've gotten to this point. But Andrew, listen, uh, I really appreciate you taking the time to uh, jump on here with me, man. Uh, I, I know you're a busy guy and I always value your time and, uh, your advice and mentorship as well over the years. Uh, thanks again. Uh, really wish you and Terry and the boys all the best here, staying safe. And let's uh, let's raise a glass here to a, a better 2020. Okay. And Mark, I've got to say this to you, mate. You are um, really a fantastic golf coach. You've come so so far. I remember it seems like a hundred years ago. Um, <laughs> you helped us out at some Revolution Golf School that we did, and uh, you have just embraced growth you really have it's awesome to see i take my hat off to you um know this you're inspiring me and i love that um it's so good to see keep on doing all the good stuff you're doing and uh send regards to laurie and the kids and uh stay safe up there mate hope to hope to all catch right. up soon thanks brother i appreciate it we'll talk soon cheers Thanks so much to Andrew Rice for coming on. It was a great conversation. And I think if you're a golfer, you want to take away what he said about improving technique and skill, or as he says, swing, skill, shot. A great way to balance your practice and improve at this difficult game. And if you're a coach or a leader, take to heart what he said about the human element and how it's all about the relationships. We have this chance, this opportunity to help people get more joy into their lives. So I want to thank you again for listening today. I hope to see you next time on the Driving Improvement Podcast with Mark Russo. And until then, I'll see you on the lesson team.